Download from Relay FM recorded Thursday, August 10th, 2017. This is episode 16, Flap My Elbows. Welcome to Download, a weekly look at the most interesting stories in the world of technology and other stuff you care about. I am Jason Snell, your host. This week, joined by two wonderful guests, rejoined two returning guests, I believe. Megan Maroney certainly has been on Download before, host of Tech News Today and iOS Today on Twit. Welcome back. Well, thank you for having me, Jason. And Aline Sims hasn't been on Download before, but she's been on many other podcasts that I've been on, including Clockwise. Welcome to Download. You are the founder of App Launch Map and co-host of Originality right here on Relay FM. Hi, Aline. Hello. So first time on Download, but it's good. It's all good. We got a little more space here than we did on Clockwise. We can yeah. take a little more time, have a little more conversation. Don't have to have it be like everybody taking turns. It's good. Yeah, it's really roomy. I'm, you know, stretching out. It's yeah. it's good. Elbow yeah. room. It's funny. When I told you that we had room here, I actually did flap my elbows a little bit. Like, <laughs> yeah, I just got, <laughs> got some space. <laughs> Hello, Download Podcast producer Stephen Hackett, laughing in the background. How are you? I just like the idea of you try looking like you're trying to fly in your office alone the cat just staring at you i'm basically doing the chicken dance that's basically what i'm doing it's a mental image i'm gonna i'm gonna cherish all right you do it do it whatever whatever keeps you uh keeps you happy keeps you alive do it um (laughs) all right let's get down to it this is a podcast where we talk about the most interesting stories of the week as steven and i have chosen which brings us to sigh topic number one i think we got to talk about it we got to talk about the google manifesto uh you know you can't spell manifesto without man (laughs) good one so yeah a a dude at google wrote a uh a thing that when i read it i was like oh my god i recognize this this is like an angry message board post this is a a guy at Google basically saying uh, he thinks that he could do um, Google's diversity programs better than they could. And then he spends a lot of time citing specifically and stating as facts, biological differences between men and women and implies, I would say, biological differences between people of different races, although he doesn't go too far down that that particular rabbit hole, as a way to explain why uh, maybe women aren't suited to be computer programmers at Google, and as a way of explaining why only 20% of Google's technical employees are women. Um, I did, has Everybody read this or try to read this? Aline, you were saying before we got started that you got like seven pages in, which is, I sort of ended up skimming because after a point it was like, I feel like I've read this before on on the internet and I didn't need to necessarily read it all. I, I, I kind of got the gist, but you know, what, what did you all think when you read or read a summary of this thing? Uh, so I, when, when the full text was originally posted to, I think Gizmodo, so it was the full text minus links to right. Wikipedia, let me be clear, and footnotes. Sure. Um, I kind of skimmed through it, but I saw red as I was skimming through it. So in preparation for this last night, I was like, okay, I'm going to sit down with the full thing, with the links, with the footnotes, with the nonsensical tables that aren't labeled or cited, and <laughs> see my biases are showing, um, and, <laughs> and see what I can do. And I managed to make it through seven of ten pages. Um, I did skim kind of the last two, and then I was like, no, I'm... 
I'm pretty much done at this point trying to read it carefully. So that's where I got. Megan, did you read it? I did. I feel like I read 10 pages of tweets before I actually read the document. I was sure. uh, out, <laughs> I was out on Friday, uh, out um, just spending time with my family, and I kept, you know, checking Twitter, which I should never do. But I, I saw all the anger. And, you know, I mean, Twitter is it's I try not to have my Twitter be an echo chamber, but it, it is a bit of an echo chamber. But I didn't want to read it. And then when we reported on it, when I came back to work, you know, I didn't want to. I sent many uh, frowny faces to Jason Howell, my co-host, <laughs> saying, do we have to talk about this? But then I said, OK, well, I need I need to read it. So I sat down. I read I read it quickly. And um, yeah, I mean, it was this was after reading all of the angry tweet. So I think it wasn't like I was a Google engineer who just sits down to my desk and is reading this internal memo. And I feel for all of those people, women and men who read that and just probably felt sick about it. So um, yeah, I mean, I think I think there are some I mean, basically, all of this is his assumptions, right? And it's all of he he's he's writing this ironic document about we should get rid of our biases. And you know, like you said, Aileen, his biases are showing all over the place. And I see this all the time. I I hear people like in our Twitch chat room saying things like like you know a lot of women all the women in my CS classes dropped out so women must be not as good as men at you know at technology and just a lot of just what people have experienced confirming their own biases I mean, that's that's what people it's confirmation bias and that's basically I think what this is but I do I would love to talk about some of the points in it that that not the pseudoscience but the points that that might be some truth there might be some truth to them were you able to pick those out because i really genuinely tried and the only thing i walked away with was that yes silicon valley and google both have a liberal bent at this point in time and i'm sure that there are some conservative voices who are being uh stifled maybe i don't know Mm -hmm. there are probably people who are afraid to talk about things but one of my notes was like he he talks about this in the beginning and i was like okay so again trying trying to be as unbiased as possible about it i was like okay are you talking about like fiscal conservatism because that's a completely different conversation from if you're talking about um kind of what has been i'm trying to dance around like the gender biases that are prevalent in the gop right now um and those are those are two entirely different conversations to have. Yes, totally get it. Conservative fiscal whatever there are discussions to be had, but if you're if you're afraid to say that women suck at computers, that's <laughs> that's not a conservative viewpoint, you know? If I could if I could uh, turn that around a little bit, I, I feel like what what he is saying that I I also think is probably right is saying you are a Republican or a conservative in Silicon Valley is probably hard and probably will get you into a lot of scorn. And your belief about like how our government should operate which is like purely politics is something that you know yeah wouldn't wouldn't it be nice to have that not feel like you have to hide your beliefs in that but and 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 so i'm willing to go along with that but he seems to then use that as a shield to hide behind his statements that women just biologically can't do this job which is not as you were saying that's not politics anymore right now we're starting to talk about how we value other people and if that's if that's politics um 
you know, I, I would argue that that's not politics at this point, because now we're not talking about how we should run our government. We're talking about how we judge other people. And and that's where he kind of goes into these things. And again, the, this gentleman seems to be coming from a constructive bent he it, it, it's not like he's trying to destroy things he thinks he's improving the world by sharing his opinions at length with footnotes right i mean he very clearly thinks i've got some suggestions about how we can make this better and i've solved google's you know the problems with google's diversity programs because it turns out that we need to change to more pair programming if women are going to be involved because women have empathy and work well with others and maybe you know that He's. It's like he's trying to help, but he's exposing all of his biases when he does. Exactly. I mean, I think I think the the truth that he's getting at is, you know, we we do live in these echo chambers, and he doesn't. He says he doesn't want to be confined to an echo chamber. I don't either, and I don't. And I I, I think there's a lot of people out there who really don't like, especially after the election. If we're going to talk about politics, like people wanted to reach across the aisle, uh, people wanted to see like why why did you vote this way or that way? And I've definitely tried to do that. But yes, I completely agree with you, Jason, that he's hiding behind mm-hmm. that um, by by saying the things that just show his bias show you know he went to harvard he went to princeton he went to yale and you know he he lived in these all of these bubbles where maybe he thought i also wondered is he talking about religious conservatism because i think that i've definitely heard that as as a complaint from people that you know that they uh that that, that is also an issue mm-hmm. in in uh silicon valley and um so i i i, I don't know i think that um Hearing him talk, watching the Bloomberg interview that he did with Emily Chang is fascinating because it just really shows that he really he does. He did say that he said, I'm trying to make the world a better place. And he really believed that. And I think that that is what many people in Silicon Valley, many of the people leading these companies really believe, but their experience is is so small and narrow and they're not used to getting out of their own bubble that they, they, they don't understand that when they say something like, you know, women are different. Women like people and men like things, you know, that, that how that resonates to people so much. And I think like Susan Wojcicki, uh, her piece that she wrote in Time about her daughter asking her, you know, is this true? Like, are are men better at technology than women? Are they better suited for leadership? And her having to just remember all of the times in her illustrious career that she's heard this, that she's heard people say this and make this assumption and that she's been in a room with, um, you know, people who are her direct reports and a man looks at them instead of her for, you know, just, just to hear this. And then at the end of the piece, if you haven't read her piece in time, it's great. You know, at the end she just says, no, it's not true. You know, which is like, it's, 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 I don't know. It's, it's, it's a good read. And I, I feel like, um, yeah, I uh, I don't remember what my point was, but I'm sure I had one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, something that I would like to to point out, Jason, you touched on this, but I want to make sure that we mention it earlier, and I should have mentioned it even earlier than I am. But but this this memo, this document, was very transphobic um, by uh, having things 
through the lens of just male or female, women and men. Uh, there, there are a spectrum of genders. There are people who are raised one gender, actually another gender, and this doesn't uh, this doesn't acknowledge that at all. Um, and it's you know the veiled racism, um, very slightly overt, I think, but this is definitely also a racist document talking about how uh, diversity efforts hurt, just diversity efforts in general hurt in the workplace. Um, and uh, I also wanted to point out the genetic superiority as he's talking about like these genetic differences. This is an argument that's been used for centuries for different kinds of oppression. It is a very, very base oppressive assumption. This is why slavery went on in the United States for so long. This is why First Nations um, are in the situations they're currently in or peoples of First Nations is because, you know, basically white people like me came in and said, you know, obviously you're genetically inferior. Um, maybe not exactly in those words, but that was the gist of it. And so he's also, I think that's also very much feeding into my outrage and the outrage that other people have felt is because this has always been a baseless thing. There's no evidence supporting genetic superiority, whether it's gender-based or racial-based or whatever. Uh, and that's definitely part of that. Well, another thing he's hiding behind, I would say, is the idea that because there are differences, therefore, you can then say there are, you can make value judgments about the differences. Because I, I, one of the things that I've seen is, come on, you can't tell me that men and women are different. It's like, okay, well, first off, everybody's different. Everybody's got different issues. Everybody's good and bad at things. And that doesn't matter whether they're male or female, like every single individual person has their own variations, right? So first off, by saying men are this way and men, women are this way, you're wrong. Some men aren't that way. Some women aren't that way. You, you're, you're fundamentally wrong. But I do believe that, you know, over a population, are there differences? I mean, testosterone and estrogen are both, uh, th th what is it? They're a hell, hell of a drug, right? I mean, there are, there are probably differences, right? We can say men and women tend to be different in a large population. Okay. Does that mean that it's so different that it would be 80-20 in, in a particular programming culture? I, I just don't believe it. I, just, I, I believe that maybe there, there are differences that would change your, 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 your take on it. But to have it be extreme, it's just like, come on. No, I, I just don't believe it. That, that is, you're, you're making these just completely broad statements about you know men are from mars and women are from venus when everybody's different and i would argue that uh the difference the differences are so slight and are probably entirely due to approach and culture and if you had a a group that was 55 men and and 45 women and you changed the culture you'd end up with a group that was 55 women and 45 men and it's all within very you know human variation leaving aside issues of people who are trans people who have other uh you know uh, are are um not in the traditional gender binary category. So, you know, again, I feel like it's something that he's hiding behind to say, but, but when men and women are different, see, so that proves my point. And it's like, well, no, that doesn't prove your point. Just because people are different and there might even be some differences traditionally between the sexes doesn't 
follow your stuff doesn't follow from that i i want to there's two points that i think he has that are valid uh one is that diversity training uh is needs to change and i do and i have done research in this and i talked to laura weidman powers who runs code 2040 and that is a program that's called code 2040 because in 2040 is when hispanic and black people will outnumber white people in the united states and she does all these programs and she you know she used to work for Megan Smith um, under Obama and she's she's you know programs that go that work at Google and she says that that uh, implicit bias or unconscious bias training isn't working um, because they get everybody to sit in a room and they say you know you all have unconscious bias and then everyone says oh I do okay I guess I don't have to do anything about that <laughs> since it's unconscious and then they mm-hmm. go back to their desks and continue on to their work so there, there needs to be a change and there are a lot of great people working on that there's lots of programs so I, I do think that uh, Google probably needs some work in that area and the other thing that I think that he had a point was he said we need to stop assuming the gender gaps imply sexism I think that uh I think that gender gaps are due to sexism, but I think it's a lot more complicated than that. And I think, uh, you know, if you look at the research into this and to, to the actual pay gap, there's so many reasons for it. And it's not just like a bunch of angry white executives saying, I'm going to pay that woman less because she's a woman. You know, it has to do with with the way the workplace is set up and and women often, not all women, but they choose jobs more often with temporal flexibility. But you, Jason, also have chosen a job with temporal flexibility. You, you know, take your kids places, you pick them up, you share the the duties of parents, uh, parenting. And I think that that is, uh, that, that I think we need to relook at the the way we set up, you know, the, the way people always have, you know, CEOs always have to be in the chair, that sort of thing. I think that has a lot to do with the, the reason that women aren't in positions of leadership. Uh, but I think that, that that does have to do with sexism, but it's not only overt sexism. Well, it, the socialization is a huge part of that, too. Like, you're more likely to enter in an, into a career where you see where you can see yourself. That's part of why I'm part of um, App Camp for Girls. This is my requisite mention of App Camp for Girls on Thank a podcast you. about sexism and tech. Um, is because part of our philosophy is well, studies have shown that part of the reason that uh, that people from underrepresented genders don't enter technical careers is because. They don't have mentors. They don't see women teaching them math or science or tech. They don't see them on TV. You know, we're st- we still see it's getting better, but we still see the the nerdy the nerdy guy um, on in movies and on TV shows. So mentorship and um, having exemplars are very very important to that. So someone's got to break that barrier to help. Um, increase uh, girls seeing or help them understand that they can do this, right? Mentorship and having something to aspire to is really, really important. Um, and, and that's not to say that this is just like a pipeline problem. I totally and completely understand 
there are people in the pipeline and they're not finding jobs. There are people of color, there are women in the pipeline, they're not finding jobs. And they're also being driven out of tech because of um, not just overt harassment and overt, you know, like you're bad at your job because you're a woman, things like this manifesto, but also like the microtransgressions, the being talked over, the men stealing our ideas, um, the having to establish expertise at every conversation. Like these are mm-hmm. things that just make you really, really weary as time goes on. That's part of the reason I work for myself now is because I can go, you know, I can tell a client to take a hike if I have to. I've never had to do that, but I can totally and completely do that if I need to, because I've been in jobs where I have over and over and over again had to say, here's my experience. This is my degree. You know, every every conversation with certain individuals. And I don't want to do that anymore. You know? Yeah. Megan, you nailed it about um, like, and I think this is one of the, one of the roots of the problem here is you end up with uh, people feeling like, Oh, you're saying that I'm a terrible person. And you know, you're swimming in it. You're soaking in it. A lot of this is cultural and it's not even that the culture, I mean, we can say uh, there are parts of our culture that are absolutely sexist. There are also parts of our culture that were not really designed because of sexism or at least directly, but like our expectations of what a boss is, what a worker is, how, how, how work schedules are supposed to work often culturally were founded on eras or in eras where men worked and women were at home. And so the assumption was that men were the workers because that was the case at the time. And so you build up these assumptions that don't have, you know, that aren't a problem because they fit the time. Then the time moves along, women enter the workforce, the assumptions don't change. And, and you end up with a cultural challenge, which goes back to things like having flexible schedules and how women often are, are paid less because they are uh, they, they it is harder for them to leave the workforce if they want to have kids and then return to it, um, among other reasons. So, you know, it, it's one of the challenges here. And I, I think it's interesting to see that this guy thinking that he, you know, he wants to make the world a better place is... It, it is it is hard. It is, is a complicated issue. And you can't see your own blind spots because sometimes it's just like the very definition of words, of what work is, of being a good employee are things that may be biased against people who aren't you. And since they're not biased against you, you just don't notice. You just think that's the way the world works. It's very hard to step out of that. And also part of that point um, that Jason, you and Megan have both made is that women are still primary caregivers in in most households. Like women not only work their nine to five, but then they come home and they take care of the family and they do the laundry and they sweep and they cook and they mop and they clean the kitchen. And uh, that's that's draining and it makes it hard, you know, when you're dividing your attention like that. It's it's pretty hard to go all in. Yeah. And sometimes the division of labor happens like that, not because if, if they're in a uh, if, if they're in a, a marriage, uh, it's not because necessarily that the partner is an awful person. Sometimes it's because the partner gets paid more because there's a pay gap. And so ends up being kind of like a little bit of a trade off. And they all kind of roll together. It's a mess. I, I do want to talk about this more and about Google's reaction to it a little bit. Um, but first, I want to take a break and tell you about our first sponsor. This episode of Download brought to you in part by FreshBooks. If you own a small Small business, you'll know what a chore administrative work can be. It's a total grind, but you're not alone. 
over 5 million small business owners have felt the same way as you. And then guess what happened? They discovered FreshBooks. It's simple cloud accounting software that's transforming how small businesses, small businesses and small business people handle their paperwork. It's great for invoicing. Create and send an invoice in as little as 30 seconds. No formulas, no formatting, just perfectly crafted invoices every time. Clients can pay you online quickly means you get paid a lot faster than if you're waiting for somebody to send you a check or something like that. There's a handy deposit feature so you can invoice for a payment up front when you're starting a project. FreshBooks can even show you whether or not a client has looked at the invoice you've emailed. This is just a fraction. We're just scratching the surface of what FreshBooks can do for you. You owe it to yourself to break free from the boring administrative work and do what you want, which is run your small business. Let FreshBooks help. For a 30-day free trial, go to freshbooks.com slash download FM and enter download in the how did you hear about us section thank you so much to FreshBooks for supporting download all right so google google's response to this was that they fired they fired the guy um it's interesting to go through the steps so his message got passed around i think it was a doc that got thrown around so like a google doc that people were passing around and commenting on um and then there was an initial response from the i think head of diversity at google who basically said um we're concerned and diversity is important to us but a you know diversity of opinion in our employees and the freedom to express those opinions is also important to us and everybody got kind of mad about that and then uh sundar pichai the ceo of google uh, posted something as they were basically as they fired the guy saying um some of you know some of his his expression is fine but he was also expressing he was also violating the code of conduct at google by making these characterizations of of the women who work at Google as being kind of unfit or less fit for their jobs. I, I'm, I wonder what your take on Google's initial response and its ultimate response to this is. Aline, what, what's your what's your read on it? Uh, so it was a little disheartening for me to read from their like head of diversity and inclusion yeah. that she's like, we respect all points of view. I'm like, no, some points of view you can have, but you can also keep them to yourself. So again, we're not talking about you know, the the conservative side of like how you set up a government and how the budget is spent and that kind of thing. We're talking about whether uh, half of the people in the world are capable of doing a thing. And that that was discouraging. And I understand that that was kind of a hedging our bets type thing. We need to get something out there. We don't know if we can fire him yet. We need to talk to our lawyers. Like, I totally get all of that. But that was super disheartening. Like, that is not a perspective, you know, you can openly have in the workplace that creates a hostile work environment for many, many people. Um, I do think he should have gotten fired. I agree. He, that was a code of conduct violation. Uh, it was, again, creating a hostile work environment. I do also think that the people who were threatening him internally, as was reported, there were some memes going around um, threatening him with harm. Those people should also be investigated and potentially fired. Like that is that is not an okay response to have. Um, so it's not like it's it's just like oh yeah if I you know liberal only thinks the conservative should be fired. No, I think that he expressed some perspectives that that were actively harming people, and I think that the response to that um, in some cases was also very actively harmful, and that should be taken into account and looked into. Well, I think that they had a good point. I mean, he was making it a a hostile work environment by posting this publicly. He also, I mean, let's be honest, cost the 
company millions of dollars. Sundar Pichai had to cancel his vacation and come home. <laughs> I mean, that's not a reason to to fire someone. But I mean, I, I I think they had a good reason. I don't think it violated his free speech, as many people are saying. Well, but keep I in mind, with- too, free speech is about in the public square as ruled by the government. There's no free speech in as an employee, especially in an at-will work state like California. Like, you don't... Freedom... It's the XKCD cartoon, right? Freedom of speech doesn't mean, you you know, that we all have to listen to you. It just means that the government can't ban you from standing on a street corner or throw you in jail because you said something. It's it's not it's not the same in a corporate environment that you don't get to say anything you want. Exactly. And uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, he wasted a lot of people's time. And, you know, I just think that what's interesting, though, is that he did he shared this memo uh, a month ago. So that it a lot of I mean, it, do, it does seem to be that kind of uh, where I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that Pachai didn't see it a month ago, but other people saw it a month ago. So the, I think that uh, it it's I, I think it makes sense that he was fired. And I think uh, that that he may he was making a hostile uh, workplace environment for for people. And I think that um it's natural that people are going to complain about that. And I mean, there was, I think there was a, a study or like a, you know, an informal uh, research to said that 56 of 56% of Google employees disagreed with the firing. Um, and that was, it was done by blind. It's an anonymous corporate chat app. So for take that with a grain of salt, I guess. Uh, but yeah, so I, I think that um, there, he has a lot, Pachai has some work to do. I think that, that uh, I think he's. I don't know if he already spoke at an all hands meeting. I know it's the they have a meeting every Thursday afternoon, um, uh, to and they're only going to be talking about this. So I I do think that people are concerned on both sides about this, and he has a lot of work to do. I think that fifty six percent statistic is really interesting too, Megan. In that uh, this isn't just a Google problem. This is a tech problem. This is happening at Apple. There are things about I've seen. Oh yeah, something like this was passed around at Microsoft not too long ago. Like this is a tech culture problem that needs to be addressed. And we're definitely like hammering on like Google right now because this is the the news and the incident. But this is everywhere. This is something that women and people of color and uh, members of the trans community are facing every day in their jobs and. And I'm not sure that we've emphasized that enough kind of uh, in the press that this is a tech problem. It's not just a Google problem. Right. Um, I wanted to say uh, one of my favorite things that I read about this was a Medium post by a guy named Jonathan Zunger, who um, used to work at Google and just left. And so he got to say things that, you know, somebody employed by Google would probably not say, because as he puts it, he's not subject to the usual usual maze of HR laws right now. But in, in imagining what he would say to this employee, um, he says, you know, it, what you did was incredibly stupid and harmful. You put out a manifesto arguing some large fraction of your colleagues are at root not good enough to do their jobs and are only being kept in those jobs because of some sort of political idea. You It costs it cost the company. Being aware of the consequence of this getting out and harming the company is also part of your job. And then... Uh, you know, he says, do you understand? I can't. How would I in good conscience assign women to work with you? 
because of what you've said about how fundamentally women are not suited for certain kinds of jobs like this. How would you collaborate with them? How would they collaborate with you? And he says, and I really like this part, if you hadn't written this, maybe we'd be having a conversation about the skills you need to learn not to be blocked in your career, which you define as female skills, but we have to have a totally different conversation now. Like you need to be better at, uh, it, uh, th- at things other than writing code. And instead your actions have outweighed your, your, your value to this company. And he says, in reality, what would have happened is there would have been a, this is not acceptable. There would have been a much smaller meeting, including you, me, your manager, your HR person, and somebody from legal. And it would have ended with you being escorted from the building by security and that your personal items will be mailed to you. Now, in the end, this is basically what happened to him. But I thought it was interesting saying no 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 this is how it's supposed to work at google and ultimately did although sort of like lots of time passed and i had the same thought i had about that memo uh, from the woman who who left uber and was talking about her organization that you know his did his manager see this probably right and yet was like uh oh, that guy whatever he's kind of annoying let him blow v8 it's a it's just a rant um but uh, this particular former googler looked at it and said um no there are like so many ways that this that this was a terrible stupid idea and it doesn't come back to you being a martyr because you voted for donald trump there was also speculation early on that maybe he was senior and responsible for hiring and vetting people, and there was concern about that. I think that that's been. No, it turns uh, I think out that he was not. No. Um, but there are people like that who are responsible mm-hmm. for hiring and vetting and interviewing and mentoring, and it does a lot of damage. Look, HR is also HR is a very complicated thing. There are lots of legal issues. It is about protecting the cult, the company. Ultimately, that's something that I think I, I've said on another podcast, but I'll say it here. Like when you go in and talk to your HR person, you, they want you to believe that their job is to protect you. It's not. It's to protect the company. Ultimately, they want to protect the company from legal exposure, and that means that yes, they want people to be trained so nobody sexually harasses somebody, and there's a huge lawsuit that takes the company down and costs them millions of dollars. But ultimately, your HR person is doing that for the company's benefit, and that's just the way it is there are good hr people who try to watch out for their employees but that's sort of the function of it and so you look at something like this and it's like i they're right to have this policy but i also get the hesitation of it which is well you know we don't want to be perceived as saying if you have an unpopular opinion you're going to be fired it's just that 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 where do you draw the line and I mentioned it twice, right, of him using a shield where he said, well, this is valid. And now I'm going to say things that you that you, you know, you can't stop me from saying. But once you're pointing to your 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 fellow employees and saying, I don't think they're biologically qualified to be here. I don't see how that person can work at that office anymore. That's just I mean, that is not saying I think taxes should be lower. Yeah. Yeah, I I wonder what you think about how much of this is a societal problem in terms of us not talking face to face with one another anymore. Like, here's this three thirty three hundred word memo manifesto, whatever you call it, that he sent out. You know, here he is. uh, I know a lot of people have talked about you know that they uh, have this uh, similar opinions that they're t- they're talking with each other about but i just think that memo versus his manifesto versus him in the interviews that i've seen 
is so different. And I just think that, you know, there's so many people spouting things on Twitter that they would never say to other people in person. And, you know, when on in the Bloomberg interview that I mentioned earlier, and Emily Chang's asking him, like, do you think that there are problems with hiring in Google? Do you think that, you know, that people uh, that uh, the diversity is is bad for the hiring? And he said, yes. And she said, why? And he said, well, I think, you know, that sometimes if you are if you're if if you're an underrepresented minority or a woman you'll get an extra interview whereas like i just wouldn't get an extra interview and it's just like these these things where it's you know it, it's i don't know his his speaking personality seemed very different than you know who he was representing himself on with this manifesto and i'm just wondering how what you think about how much uh that is just sort of we're not talking to each other anymore we're just spouting things on the internet you got to wonder don't you if if this guy has literally ever had a hard conversation with someone where he's espoused these values and been challenged, because it did read to me like somebody who hasn't really been challenged. A lot of the assumptions he makes, I think, are very easily refuted. And it does feel like, you know, this is the product of a couple of echo chambers where there's a group of people who have hold these beliefs, but they know that they can't say them out loud because they're going to be judged, which they are they are. Um, but at that point, how do you educate them? And again, I'm not talking about re-educate. I'm like, how do you have a conversation with them and maybe expose them some, to some other ideas that they might realize change what they feel? Because it, it, he does not come across as somebody who has thought deeply about this and been challenged. Which is fascinating because when he was at was it at Harvard and he was part of some kind of like sexist skit that right. like the dean of the school had to apologize for? Like you would think that he's had opportunities to have these conversations. Um, I do think that our world is such that we dehumanize one another a little bit, kind of as a, a person who is gaining an audience in some of the things that people say to me, it's like, you realize that I'm a person over here. I'm not like an AI in a box somewhere. Right. And they're like, Oh, okay. Like I get it. But you have to remind people that you are actually a person. Like, and I think we've probably all experienced that. Um, and I, I do think that that's a good point. There are people who have just gone on screes <laughs> throughout, like I'm thinking of Alexander Hamilton, just because he's popular right now, you know, and like <laughs> some of the crap he wrote <laughs> was pretty uh, defamatory and dehumanizing of his peers, of people he actually knew. So I do think that part of it is just kind of an ongoing thread throughout our culture is just kind of to let it all hang out sometimes. At this point, I think it's too late. Like I, this guy, it, it, it seems unlikely that he he is going to be surrounded. He has already been surrounded by people who are going to reinforce him and tell him that everything he believes is true and push him down that path where he can be kind of a darling of, of people who believe this. And so I think it's unlikely, but I do feel like it's that when, when were they radicalized kind of moment of um, that if, if we weren't as polarized and we, we could have these conversations because, you know, I, I believe, Look, I'll, I'll, I'm not the most liberal person in the world. I, I don't consider myself conservative either. I always consider myself kind of a moderate. I do believe that there are, are ways that people can, people are complex and what they believe is complicated. And you don't necessarily have to be somebody on the extreme left to believe that perhaps it's a good idea for women 
women to be properly represented in uh, the tech industry and that maybe we need to address some underlying problems, right? I don't think that we have to remain polarized, but everybody is has their, um, has their uh, uh, shields up. Everybody is concerned about what's the agenda on the other side. You're trying to push a particular agenda on me. And that's, I, I think, the tragedy of this situation is I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for this guy because he really liked, you know, watching his own words spill out on a page here. But I do feel that it is tragic in a way that he didn't have a, he didn't feel like he could be put in a position to have a back and forth about this and how he may have some misguided notions and maybe rethink some of what he believes because I do believe that we've built these walls up and I don't know how I don't know what the solution is there I hope that someday people understand that there's a clearer line to be drawn between like believing like questioning people's fundamental belief of how a, how a business should be run or how a government should work and questioning somebody's uh, abilities as a human being because of their gender because of their genetics whatever i don't know i don't know how we get there we can uh, i was hoping that this episode of this podcast would solve all the problems that we have in the world <laughs> but I, I i i'm afraid we may not well <laughs> Part of the way that we do that is we have these conversations. And frankly, we it's sorry, white guys, it's really a lot of it is up to you to talk to your peers, because people aren't going to listen to a woman about what it's like to be a woman in tech. They're going to listen to a guy who's listened to a woman talk about what it's like to be a woman in tech. And once uh, kind of that that crack in the facade is made, then people are more receptive to listening to whomever, whatever person in a marginalized group about what has happened. But I can tell you, I I very much had this experience where I used to be like, um, you know, I I don't know what you're talking about with uh, racism in the US. That's history. That's what I was taught in my very small, very white, very conservative community is that racism was a thing of the past. And we didn't need to worry about it anymore. And we had social equity. And then I became a big city woman. And uh, I learned some things. And I was like, and it was slow. It was really, really slow for me. I'm kind of, I'm going to admit that, but I, I wish it hadn't been. And now I'm like, whoa, what was Alina of, you know, seven or eight years ago thinking there is a lot of racial inequity that's happening in our country and what do we need to do to fix that? But it's because it's, you know, it like started with a chink in the armor and I'm in a completely different spot now. One of the things that, that has struck me about this is the, the reaction to thinking, okay, there's, there's inequality here. There are, there are 50% of the population is women, but only 20% are technical here at Google. Okay. So what's the problem there? And there's two ways to view that I feel like. And one way is what's wrong with us and our culture that has led to the point where we have this imbalance that that it, and it, historically right women used to be much more prevalent in these technical fields in fact some of the first computers were women and um go everybody go watch hidden figures by the way um and and now it's like this so like you can either look and say what's wrong with us how is our business and how is our methodology structured and has that pushed women out of this or you can say well 
it's their problem. It's not us. It's them. I'm sure we're totally fair and fine, and they just must not be good enough. And I have a hard time seeing how you go to that second response, because the first one seems much more likely to me. It's like kind of an Occam's razor thing. It's like, maybe there's something wrong with the system if it's pushing them out. But some people seem to go the other way. Why look outside? Why look inside when we can just blame whoever's on the mm-hmm. outside? Big yeah. sigh. All right, we have one more topic to talk about today. Believe it or not, we do. And we'll do that right after we tell you about our other sponsor this week. It's Balance. Balance is the team behind Balance for Mac. It's an app that helps you monitor all your bank balances and card transactions. Balance folks have just launched Balance Open. It's a free open source Mac app for checking Coinbase, a popular marketplace for cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin. And Balance Open is the best open source digital wallet to help you keep track of everything. If you're not familiar with this stuff, that's okay. Balance will help teach you about cryptocurrencies. And they're going to do that by starting you on your way. The first thousand people that go to bal.money, that's bal.money slash relay will receive $2 in the Ethereum currency for free as a gift from Balance. So check it out today. Find more and try out Balance Open. Thank you to Balance for supporting Download. Uh, let's talk about a story you might have missed. Uh, Stephen, you picked this one and, and it's a pretty good one. It's something from Intel called the ruler SSD. And it does, it looks like a ruler or a yardstick and there it's SSDs. It's just huge amounts of storage. And the idea is you slide a whole bunch of these in a server rack and they claim that you can fill these little, they're long and thin. Um, and, and if you fill the space that's taken up any one U server rack, the smallest server rack out there, you can store one petabyte of storage in that little rack, which is incredibly, that's a thousand terabytes in a, the smallest server rack size there is. That's pretty funny given that, um, like I was just watching back to the future the other, the other day and they didn't know how to pronounce gigawatts. They called it gigawatts (laughs) because nobody knew what giga anything was back then. It was because why the computers, now we all know what gigs are and gig, gigs, and now we know terabytes. Get ready. The petabyte era is coming, uh, and maybe it'll be full of uh, Intel rulers. I don't know. Uh, topic number three, Disney. Our friends at Disney, are they're, they're leaving Netflix. They're pulling some of their stuff in a few years when their contract has an out off of Netflix. And they have announced that they're starting their own streaming service, which they hope to launch in, in 2019. It'll be built off of technology from BamTech, which is actually the company that used to be called Major League Baseball Advanced Media. They are experts in video streaming to the point where I believe Disney has now exercised their option to buy 75% of BamTech. Um, And they're also launching a streaming service for sports that's based on stuff that's not on ESPN, which is kind of weird. It's like bonus stuff that's not on ESPN. Uh, And so, uh, you know, I'm wondering what your take is on a Disney streaming service. Are you interested? We don't know what's going to be on it. Is it also going to have Marvel stuff on it? Is it going to have Star Wars on it? We don't really know yet. Um, And what would it take to get you to subscribe to a Disney streaming service? Megan, what do you think? 
Well, I was going to say that until I know whether it has Marvel or or Star Wars, I I can't speak to it. Um, but <laughs> I uh, I I think this makes sense for Disney. Um, I will be sad not to get to watch Moana on Netflix whenever I want uh, because I enjoy that movie very much. And I, but I'm also tired of all of the. $10 a month, $12 a month, you know, yeah. for Hulu and HBO, like one on top of the other. And then it feels like I'm paying like hundreds and hundreds of dollars in subscription services. I, I'm sitting here thinking like exactly what Megan said. Uh, yeah, I think that things have got to, I don't know, I hate to be the things have got to change. You know, we're, we're cord, cord cutters here. I mean, we do have cable. It's for my mom when she visits. Otherwise, we don't watch it. Um, we pay for shows on iTunes. We have the HBO now and, and all of the things, right? And it's kind of uh, bankruptcy by a thousand services. Um, it's just they keep adding up and adding up. And I, I really hope that someone... Apple, Google, I don't care, can swoop in and be like, um, hey, let's let's negotiate a deal. Let's let's get you the package you want, which I know has been kind of like the dream. Right. And that's not what we're getting. But I've still got my fingers crossed that someday this will happen so that we can pick the channels we want. We don't have to pick ten dollar, you know, 20, ten dollar a month services to to get half of the content we want or whatever. They're going to get, you know, TV people are going to get their money from you one way or another. I, I, I start to imagine, like, what would it be like, though, if somebody offered, came in and, like, bundled a bunch of them together for a lower price? And I realized that's basically cable TV. That's a remake <laughs> of cable TV and yeah. streaming. What we really need is for uh, someone to just give us one of those ruler SSDs with, because that can hold 300,000 HD movies, sure. which is 70 years of nonstop entertainment. And if I just had that, then I wouldn't need any streaming set. service. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I find it interesting that so many of these companies go to BAMTech to to build these things. This is a really hard technical problem to solve. And, and it powers the MLB at bat stuff. It powers the HBO stuff and some other things. Um, and Disney's making a bit a big investment there, but even Disney can't go and build this. They're you know partnering or, or in this case investing in a company that already has the groundwork laid. It's a, it's a complicated problem, and uh, I, f- I just find that really interesting that we may be paying for all these different services in a couple of years, but how many of them are powered by the same backbone uh, is sort of interesting. Stephen, you, look, you found something interesting about baseball, oh, no. uh, which is new for you. But it's true. It seems it seems weird that uh, it would be Major League Baseball's arm, but they they got streaming. They got their streaming tech down to the point where like HBO was building their own internal streaming, which I think they were using for HBO Now, and um, and they basically fired the the CTO who was building it and embraced BAM Tech. Because because it worked and their service didn't really work. And it's uh, been uh, very lucrative for Major League Baseball to sell that off, 75% of it off for several billion dollars to Disney, as well as keeping their 25% interest on it. Um, And yeah, they've done streaming right. And uh, ESPN actually uses them. uh, CBS uses them for the NCAA basketball tournament, HBO Go. It's all... um, yeah, isn't that something that this is like now a major part of uh, an entertainment company's uh, tool set has to be the streaming infrastructure? Because if you have a hit like Game of Thrones and it drops at 9 p.m. Eastern uh, and everybody starts to stream it right then, uh, can you keep the streams going? 
And if you can't, you are in big trouble. So it is interesting that this is all based on damn tech. I, I agree with all of you, though. Like, I already pay for Hulu, Netflix, and Amazon. And I'll when Star Trek Discovery comes on, I guess I'm going to pay for CBS All Access for a while. And it's like, I can do that for a little while. But the, the time is going to come when nobody is going to be able to watch all this stuff, right? Nobody's going to want to. And that's going to be really interesting when there's like a really... When everybody, literally everybody is playing the HBO game, which is we're going to put enough shows on to make you to like subscribe and then forget to cancel or when, well, HBO's, uh, HBO's got the mastery of, um, Game of Thrones ends, but then the new show starts right after it. And you're like, well, I guess I'll stick around, but literally everybody may be playing that game. Every single entertainment source may be a subscription game like, um like hbo is fox is doing this too with fx they're going to do a streaming service and they're they're actually going right out and saying you can watch the same stuff as you watch on cable but without commercials if you pay us um which is you know at that point commercials is is a thing that only people who can't afford to hide the commercials can see which on one level is great on another level it really sucks if you can't afford to hide the commercials yeah you you brought up back to the future you know there's a scene in back to the future too where uh, Junior gets home and turns on the TV and it's like six or eight shows all at once. That'll be us, <laughs> but each individual box is a separate streaming service we're paying $12 a month for. Oh, good. It is a dystopia, <laughs> isn't it? Yes. <laughs> oh, oh my. Oh my. So this brings us to the end of this edition of Download. I, I'll remind you what to look out for in the week of hen, uh, ahead, as I always do. Next week, I'm on vacation and Stephen Hackett will be here doing the show. Good luck, buddy. Thanks. Uh, you'll, uh, it'll I be great. It'll be fine. You're gonna have a you're gonna have a special uh, in person guest for that one, right? Probably. Yeah, I think Mike Hurley's gonna join us. Oh, it'll very nice, fun. very nice. But that's it for now. Megan Maroney, where can people find the stuff that you do? Uh, Twitter TV or MeganMaroney.com. Awesome. Thank you for being here. And Aline Sims, where can people find your stuff? Oh my gosh, I wasn't prepared for this question. Um, I'm on Twitter at Aline, that's A-L-E-E-N. I'm on Relay FM slash Originality from my podcast with Kate Tempest Bradford. And my business is App Launch Map. I help iOS and Mac developers uh, with the the non-code side of launching an app, and that's AppLaunchMap.com. Awesome. Thanks to you both. Thank you, Stephen Hackett, once again. Take care of the ship next week while I'm gone. And Stephen will be watching the headlines so you don't have to in the week ahead. I'll see you in two weeks. Bye, everybody.